Brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is Stuff You Should Know. Too hot edition. This is a, a an addition to our long-standing circus art suite. What else have we done? Then human cannonball. Sure. We've done lion taming. Yeah, lion taming, good one. Or animal taming in general, maybe. I think it, it was called lion, lion taming. Okay. Though, um, but there seems to be like a couple more. Yeah. Maybe uh, did we do the, uh, you know, that sphere that the motorcycle guys ride in? The, the that's super cage dangerous. of death. <laughs> what do they call that thing? The probably the cage of death because it's the most dangerous thing ever. It's pretty dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Gosling did it though in that movie. Did he actually do it? No. Oh, okay. Of course not. What movie was that? Um, the Pines one. Yeah, place beyond the pines, among the pines. Yeah. Beside the pines. Around the pines. It had something to do with the pines. <laughs> it had a pine smell to it. Yeah. That was a great opening shot, though, I have to say. Oh, is that? I haven't seen that movie. It's this long, continuous shot that eventually takes him from like his trailer into that sphere of death. Well, now the whole movie's spoiled. You might as well tell everybody what the what the final <laughs> final part of the plot is. What is it called? The denouement? <laughs> Resolution? Yeah. The last is, act? It's called denouement, Frenchie. <laughs> All right. Circus arts continued with fire breathing. I just did it. Did you see that, Chuck? Or what are some of the other names? Because breathing is technically kind of a weird thing to call it. It is. That's the most common. Fire blowing is one. Sure. Fire aspirating. And apparently I read something on um, called houseofpoi.com, which is basically a fire arts website. Yeah. Um, they were saying like there's two, there's a medical term for aspirating, which is to introduce air into the lungs, and they wanted to go out of their way to point out that that's not what they were talking about when they call it aspirating. Okay. They were using the other definition, which is uh, exhaling a, a mist, vaporous mist. Gotcha. So aspirating is probably the best term technically for it, but everybody calls it fire breathing. Yeah, because a, a circus, uh, what, what do they call the people that yell a barker, isn't going to say Step right up and see the fire aspirator. Yeah. They may have. Some of those old-timey uh, circus barkers were like, they were into big words. Fire aspiration. You'd have to say it like that, though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like Walter Winchell. Exactly. For some reason. Uh, Chuck. Yes. Have you ever seen somebody breathe fire? Sure. You have in real life? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like uh, the smaller circuses. Lollapalooza? Well, well, I did see the Jim Rose show. Back, did they have a fire the breather day. then? I don't remember. I just remember the guy that hung from needles through his yeah. teats. <laughs> and I remember dudes eating glass and stuff. Yeah. But there, there had to be a fire breather in there. Well, apparently that was around the time of the fire breathing revival. There was a um, – they uh, think that it's possible oh, yeah. people were fire breathing back in ancient Persia. Apparently that's where naphtha was um, discovered, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, and – the, the fire breathing as we know it probably came about around the 18th, 19th century, around the time when circuses started, as yeah. we understand them. Medieval traveling players gave way to traveling circuses, which gave way to big circuses. Right. Uh, and then it just kind of died off for a little while until <laughs> a little-known guy named Gene Simmons yeah. started doing it at shows for the band called KISS. Yes. What does it stand for? Knights in Satan's service. <laughs> does it really? No. That's not a rumor? 
Is it, it a rumor? It, yeah, that's not true at all. Okay, good. Are you kidding me? They're like, they just want to party. A bunch of Jewish guys from New York that yeah. wore makeup. So yeah, Gene Simmons used to do it on stage at Kiss shows. Still does. I didn't know that. Did you? That he did that on yeah. stage? Oh yeah, that was his big trick. So you've been in a uh, Kiss tribute band before. Did, did no. anyone breathe fire? No. I've seen pictures. We dressed up as Kiss for a Halloween concert that we did. Same thing. We did not play a single Kiss song, though. Oh, gotcha. Because they're kind of crappy. Oh. Well, did anyone breathe fire? No. I should have. I should have had the blood capsules, too, you know? So Gene Simmons taught a guy who was in a tribute band called Black Diamond yeah. um, how to breathe fire so he could do a better tribute act. And that guy eventually started this whole, uh, well, he kind of introduced fire breathing to the whole urban tribalism, raver, goth culture. Yeah. And then there you have it. And now, that, now we have fire breathing. So again. Gene Simmons is responsible for the resurgence in the 1970s of fire breathing? Pretty much. All right. Yeah. So um, if Gene Simmons can do it, you say, anybody can do it. And you're pretty much right. But the thing is, is it takes a certain kind of person to breathe fire. And with that, I feel like we should see away here. Yeah, big time. Like this is fire breathing. So there's actually stuff called fire arts. It's a subsection of the circus arts, and it's basically anything dangerous to do with fire. Yeah, juggling, uh, breathing, eating, eating fire. Sure, anything you can do with fire is pretty dangerous. Fire breathing is far and away the most dangerous of the fire arts. It is extraordinarily dangerous. It is, you could say, extremely dumb to do. Yeah, and I used to think that. When I saw it, I was like, I could do that, you know? You just put it in your mouth and you just blow the fine mist out. You just spit it out. But um, that's you will end up burned and disfigured if right. you just try that on a whim. Which we'll get into. Um, I was reading an article by Penn Jillette about fire eating. And the whole time he was talking about, you know... How dumb it was and don't do it. But then he's giving a step-by-step. Which is what we're going to do. Kind of. Yeah. Um, But he was saying that fire eating and fire breathing, any of the fire arts, are one of those rare things where even if you do it right, you're still going to get hurt. Like, yeah, like you're not going to sure. come away unscathed. And in addition to the immediate problems you're going to have, you can have long-term problems, which we'll get into as well. But we should say that just from the outset, uh, people who are fire breathers typically won't teach you how to do it. Yeah, it's so dangerous. If you ask them to. And they will also tell you, don't listen to podcasts. Don't read magazines. Yeah. Don't read books. Or the internet. Don't go to websites. Like yeah. all of those things have problems. And you, if you really do want to learn how to breathe fire, then go find somebody who does this and has done it for years and knows what they're doing. A professional. And ask them if they will teach you how to do it. That's the only way you can possibly even remotely safely learn how to <laughs> breathe fire. That's right. And uh, for this article, um, who wrote this? Uh, this is a Tracy Wilson jam. Oh, well, you know it's thorough. Yeah. But um, she interviewed a couple of professional fire uh, breathers, uh, Mike Garner and a lady with the stage name of Pele. And so we're going to be quoting from them. And a lot of this is their expertise on the page. So we just want to shout out to them. Yeah. I don't know if they're still doing this, but um, I bet they are. Like, who hangs up their boots, their spurs, if you're a fire breather? <laughs> I think when your mouth falls out. <laughs> well, they've both been hurt. Yeah. All right, so let's get into it. All right, so um, with fire breathing, uh, you've got basically two things that you need. Yeah. You need a fuel source mm-hmm. and a flame source. Yeah, and a mouth. Yeah, 
That's pretty much it. If you well, have no mouth. Yeah. You don't even technically need a hand. You could use some sort of robotic arm to hold your flame source. So really you just need yeah. a mouth, a fuel source, and a flame. Um, and like you said, it's just you thought you could just do that. You put a little fuel in your mouth and you spit it at the flame and you're fine. Yeah. I was just going to do a tiny bit too. <laughs> well, apparently that's all you want. You want about a shot's worth. Yeah. Um, See, I already would have done too much, probably thinking it was little. Right. And I have a huge beard, which is not a good yeah, idea. Yeah, that's another big one, too. <laughs> uh, some people say that you should do this um, unclothed from the waist up just to yeah. prevent your shirt from catching on fire or whatever. Sure. Um, but the, uh, the, the key to fire breathing, apparently, is the mist you produce. You don't want to, the fuel to be, you want to kind of atomize the fuel in your mouth yeah. with the spit. You want to create this mist because if it's not uh, misty enough, the fuel will be too heavy. It'll catch fire and land on the ground and just burn the ground. That's right. And if um, this is something that eventually you want to try and do professionally and you get hooked up with a professional and they're going to give you lessons, mm-hmm. they're not going to hand you a cup of Coleman fuel and say, let's give this a try. They're going to hand you a cup of water. And then you say, we're going to be getting this mist correct and the angle correct. For the next two years. Yeah, until you ever touch fuel to mouth. And uh, speaking of angle, that angle needs to be between 60 and 80 degrees because if it's too low, it might get on your body. Mm-hmm. If it's too high, it might fall back onto your face. And that's so the that's a really important angle. That's the angle of the mist coming out of your mouth in relation to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is that confusing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're like, what, are you supposed to lay on a board at a certain angle? <laughs> uh, so the first thing you want to do, or the first thing the professionals do, is examine their surroundings. Yeah. they got to check the wind, of course, even if they're indoors. Um, and Garner says, uh, or actually Pele says to actually watch the flame on the torch is the best way to tell mm-hmm. what the wind is doing. Yeah. But it can all change in a moment. Oh, yeah, it definitely can. Wind, gust, wind no changes good. correct uh, direction, and you're in trouble. Yeah, big trouble. Um, you also want to th- – this is not something you want to show up to, just put the fuel in your mouth and blow into a flame. You want to do a little recon work first. Sure. Um, you want to make sure there's no power lines around where you're going to be <laughs> blowing fire. Yeah. Um, that You want to make sure that you know where the people are going to be yeah. and where they're not going to be. You want to know which direction you're standing. The wind direction, wind speed, all of that kind of stuff. Trees. Yeah. No low-hanging fruit nearby. That's right. Uh, and then uh, once you've kind of got your your mist down, your angle of your head, and the knowledge that you don't want to blow fire toward power lines, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's time to investigate what kind of fuel to use. That's right. There are all kinds of fuels. Um, one thing that you want to always avoid is gasoline Yeah. or just straight up alcohol. It's not safe. Yeah. Uh, methyl alcohols are extremely toxic. Yeah. And uh, Pele points out ethyl alcohols can induce drunkenness. You do not want anything approaching drunkenness while you're – you want to be as sober as a judge, a sober judge, uh, while you're <laughs> while you're fire breathing. Yeah. And both those alcohols have very low um, flash points too, which makes them more dangerous. Yeah. And here's why. So there's something called blowback. Right? Yeah. Um, if something has a low flash point, that means it ignites at a low temperature, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're spitting fuel at a fire source, a flame source, yes, that fuel that's close to your mouth, if it has a low flash point, could conceivably catch fire. Yeah. So the trail of fire can follow the path back to your mouth 
and then catch your mouth on fire while you have a mouthful of fuel. Yeah, like, uh, you know, the, the trick that you also should never do, which is with the aerosol can and making that into a flame Same, torch. Yeah. I've seen it crawl back up toward the nozzle sure. when someone else was doing it. Yeah. And that's really dangerous. That's the same thing. Same exact thing. Right. But imagine you don't have a cap that closes a valve with your mouth. Right. And you have fuel all around your mouth from the little spittle mist that you've been making with it. Yeah. It's a bad scene when blowback happens. And so to avoid that, you, you, well, I should say fire breathers use, um, fuels with high flash points. Yeah. So you want to look at your flash point. You want to look at the toxicity, even though most of these are going to be fairly toxic. Because you're putting this in your mouth, you know. Well, there actually is one that's non-toxic that apparently works. Cornstarch. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Apparently, cornstarch processing plants used to blow up in the 19th century a lot. Yeah. Um, do you remember that sugar plant blew up in Savannah? No. Well, a sugar plant blew up in Savannah, and it <laughs> blew up because of sugar dust. Anything that's that small can explode, can yeah. ignite. So cornstarch can as well. So it's non-toxic, but the problem is, is if you... Get it into your lungs, then it, it can cause problems. But do they actually use that for professional fire breathers? I saw it on um, House of Poi. Really? Yeah. Okay. And hey, House of Poi. <laughs> they know what they're talking about. I love you said that like it was the National Archives or something. I mean, it pretty it pretty much is. It's the National Archives of Fire Breathing. Right. Uh, so the taste and the smell, you know, because like we said, you're going to put this in your mouth, and there's also going to be people around, and you don't want to, you know, offend people with some malodorous, <laughs> toxic fumes. Right. You don't want all kinds of awful smoke, uh, and you want it to make a nice flame that has nice color and it's very visible. Right. So all this goes into choosing your fuel. That's right. Um, the fuel, the most prevalent fuel that I came across in researching is kerosene, Yeah. which is also known as paraffin. Um, and it's toxic, but as far as the fire-breathing fuels go, it's one of the least toxic ones. Paraffin's actually used medicinally as a laxative, yeah. which means that you can suffer anal seepage as a fire breather for, if you use paraffin as a oh, fuel really? source. Yeah. That's one of the side effects of paraffin laxative use. And is it, but that's not a... All right, never mind. <laughs> um, they both have uh, kerosene and, uh, and lamp oils, another one. They both have high flash points, so they're a little bit safer. Um, and they burn at low temperature, but they're bright. Yeah, but they are smoky, and they do have a pretty nasty smell. And neither one of them is really safe to ingest. Right. Um, and they do have toxins in the additive. So like, you know, nothing's like perfect. No. It's like choosing the lesser of the evils, I think. There was a, um, a lamp oil that was colorless and odorless, but it turned out to be extremely carcinogenic, carcinogenic. Yeah. Because the, whoever was making this stuff used additives to make it colorless and odorless. And those (laughs) things were very deadly. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. Uh, I mentioned Coleman fuel earlier. That's what, uh. I use like camping, a lot of camp stove and stuff use Coleman fuel. That's what Pendulette uses for fire yeah. eating, yeah. Uh, AKA white gas or lighter fluid or naphtha. And that has a low flash point. Um, so it's more volatile and it's toxic, of course. Um, and a lot of people say it is more dangerous inside with the kerosene. Yeah. Over the Coleman fuel. And Col- that's a Coleman brand name fuel, by the way. Right. But it's, uh, it's almost like Tylenol fuel or Kleenex fuel. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so the, we talked about avoiding alcohols in general. You yeah. got your fuel, uh, you got your mouth at the right angle, and you got the mist going on. Now you need a flame source. 
Just looked like a match, right? No. No? No, you'll catch your whole hand on fire. You want something that you can uh, you can keep away from your hand. Oh, yeah. Uh, so a torch usually. There's actually torches that I think are made for this kind of stuff. Sure. You can make your own, but you want to be, uh, I should say, fire breathers can make their own, but they want to be careful with the um, the the materials they use. Like, for example, uh, let's say you had a wad of cotton and that was your, that you were going to dip in naphtha, right? Okay. Makes sense. But the wad of cotton's not going to stay there. You need to wrap it around with something. Yeah. Well, you have to be careful what you wrap it around with. If you wrap it around with rope, it can break and fall into your mouth sure. if you're doing a fire eating trick. Um, same thing with like nylon rope. That stuff will melt and drip into your mouth and just burn until it feels like going out. Yeah. Um, so you want to be careful what you use. And from what I understand, you want to kind of pony up for the torch, the pre-made torch that's, that's what I would get designed by a professional not to burn your face off. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to be a professional fire eater, you're not going to cheap out on the torch. Right. And I mean, really, that's going to be your most significant investment unless you have to pay somebody to teach you. Yeah. Because how much is lamp oil? How much is your mouth? Your mouth is free. Probably not much. You know? Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty low buy-in, I guess. It is. But a high cost, if you do it wrong. Well, let's talk about the high cost. Well, dangers and safety. There's one thing called fire eater pneumonia. Yeah. um, And that is a condition that they're prone to called uh, hydrocarbon uh, pneumonitis. Basically, that's from inhaling fuel. And they've nicknamed it fire eater pneumonia because it must just be a common thing in that trade. Yeah. Um, it can lead to coma. One of the signs of it is stupor. Yeah. Um, collapsed lung. Uh, you can also get a fluid buildup in the, uh, lining of the lungs. It's not, it's not good. No good. Um, that's not the only problem. We also talked about blowback because if you think about it, like you can, you can influence the direction of the flame. Yeah. But you're incapable of controlling it, especially outdoors. So first of all, even without blowback, the wind can direct the flame in a different direction that you want it to. And all of a sudden you or somebody you care about is on fire. Or maybe someone you don't even like that much. Yeah. But the, you don't want to be on the hook for setting them exactly. on fire. Exactly. You could still be liable. A tree's <laughs> on fire. There's there's things that catch fire when you're fire breathing, If if even under the most perfect of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, some of the, the lesser effects over time, um, skin irritation, ulcers in the stomach, uh, gum disease and dry mouth, poisoning, and um, res- general respiratory distress, like... If you're a pro fire breather, you know, it's it's not a normal thing right. to put this toxic fuel in your mouth and blow it back out. So over time, it's going to catch up to you. Yeah, and don't forget anal seepage. Who can? That's another <laughs> one for using paraffin. Uh, but they do take a lot of safety precautions. Uh, Pele points out that they work with partners uh, who are very adept at putting out fires. Um, they train them in how to put out the tools, how to put out the person, how to put out the area around it if anything bad happens. And it's basically just an assistant there in case anything goes wrong. With all of the accoutrement, like um, a fire extinguisher, a wet blanket. Yeah. Like literally a wet blanket. I guess that's where the term came from, fire breathing. Don't be a wet blanket. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In this case, we want someone to be a wet blanket (laughs) at the right time. Um, And the person is not only good at extinguishing a tree or a loved one, um, they're good at extinguishing the fire breather himself or herself. Yeah. Um, and calling 911. Yeah. It's probably a good idea to have the old cell phone handy. But you want to have someone you trust and who's not going to panic. 
Yeah, you also want to have a first aid kit and make sure you have everything you need. Um, you just don't drive up willy-nilly. If you're a pro, you've got all the stuff squared away. You've talked to the local authorities, maybe the fire marshal. You've said, here's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Is it okay? Here's my fire plan um, or yeah, burn plan. That's another one. Paley, on it. Paley was saying like she contacts the local fire department or the local fire marshal and says, hey, I'm going to do this. Are we cool? Yeah. And then, yeah, here's what happens if, if things go out of control. That's, that's. The fire marshal says, uh, yeah, that looks good to me. Hey, Jimmy, pass that lasagna over here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> fire marshals are known for loving lasagna. Yeah. Well, I think that's all those guys do is eat, right? Eat lasagna? Well, just good food. Yeah. That's why people go into that business, right? <laughs> I don't know. Hang out with the dudes and eat good food. Is that Pet really? Pet the Dalmatian. Is that it? No. Oh. They're saving lives, buddy. We talked about. Where Dalmatians became associated with firefighting, right? Uh, at some point we didn't. Okay. It wasn't standalone. I wonder what it was. I can't remember. Okay. Uh, so another thing you can do to minimize the effects of fuel on the body is to, um, you want to, in between acts, you want to make sure all that fuel is cleaned off of your face and hands. Yeah. Don't want to forget any of that. I mean, like, literally, what they do is they blow, they put the torch down, they're, um, they wipe their mouth with a wet rag, sure, and then they spit whatever fuel remains in their mouth back into like their the fuel cup, yeah, and wipe their mouth and hands again, and then that's one blow of the thing. That's one blow, <laughs> ideally one breath. Yeah, uh, they also recommend, um, or some of the tricks of the trade at least, is to eat um, like bread and <laughs> drink milk and an antacid. Yeah. It's kind of funny when you think about it. Pendulette was saying like the burps that you will have after this are really are indescribable. Interesting. Yeah. Like a little puff of smoke comes out, or I think it's worse than that. Okay, the, that'd be the, the smell version. and the taste of it are just horrible. Wow. Uh, there are associations, real professional associations: the North American Fire Artist Association and the National Fire Protection Association uh, have guidelines for all this stuff with performance safety. So does Home of Poi. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get to the poi. So, so the poi, um, we didn't even mention it in the Maori episode, did we? No. So poi are two heavy balls on a string that you've seen like hula dancers. Yeah. Um, like swing. And thanks to the centripe- centripetal force, mm-hmm. they uh, maintain this distance, although it takes a lot of like agility and strength in your arms to spin these things. Sure. Well, somewhere along the way, some Maoris said, hey, let's light these on fire. Yeah. Because it'll look really cool, and it does. It does look very cool. So poi uh, are one of the implements you can use for fire arts. Yeah, it's all, it's a, it's not juggling, but it's almost it's sort spinning. of like juggling. You know? It's fire spinning. Uh, you can juggle with fire, as this one uh, person points out. Eh, pretty much any juggling prop you can get, you can light fire. <laughs> That's to. right. Yeah. And we talked about fire eating, too, um, which is basically taking uh, your torch or whatever. And, yeah. Um, you get your mouth really, really wet with spittle, apparently so wet that you can form a spit bubble very easily across your mouth when right. you open it. And then you put the torch in there um, and extinguish it. Close your mouth around it. Without touching it. Yeah. So that apparently is where all the practice comes in for fire eating is you don't want the torch to touch anything inside your mouth. And when you close your lips to extinguish it, you don't want them to have to touch the torch itself. It's probably hot. It's very hot. Yeah. Um, And then also if you have just recently dunked your torch, 
Um, some of the fumes will stay in your mouth and catch fire, and you can hold fire in your mouth and have somebody light a cigarette or cigar or what have you off of it. Pretty cool. That's a that's a trick. Um, there are different ways of breathing fire. Uh, different, you know, depending on what kind of um, plume you want, mm-hmm. you can alter your mouth and how you blow the stuff out into different types of tricks, like the basic pop or the volcano. Or the fire breathing from palm flame. Oh, I'll bet that looks neat. The old ground lifter or the old challenger. Classic mm. fire breathing moves. Yeah. And uh, if you go to, uh, which web- website was this? Probably Home of Poi. They have little video demonstrations of each one of these. The around the world, the one beat weave. <laughs> With the <laughs> Schenectady shuffle. <laughs> the, the, the carousel. And you can just, you know, they're all they're all a little bit different. And I guess, you know, if you're a fire breather, then you want to master each one of those. Yeah. And the, there's a record, Chuck, for the pillar, the straight-up pillar of fire. Um, 28 feet. Somebody exhaled a 28-foot pillar of flame once. And it's all about breathing, too. I don't know if we mentioned that. It's not just forming a mist. Like, you have to do breathing exercises. So you can take a huge deep breath first because you can't breathe with that fuel in your mouth. You'll yeah. aspirate the vapors. Like you have to be exhaling the entire time. Yeah, just exhale. So you have to be able to um, take a deep breath and then exhale it at a steady rate or um, control it however you want and also atomize this fuel with your mouth. There's a lot to it. Yeah. It's not it, – it isn't something that anybody can just do and – no. It takes a lot of practice. Yeah, we've got – should we go over some more, more of these world records? Yeah, let's. Give these folks their due? Sure. Most flames blown in one minute. 85 by preacher uh, Muad'Dib mm-hmm. in Italy. 85 in a minute. That's like poof, 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 poof. Yeah. Was that the, was that the rhythm? I don't know. <laughs> It'll get you 85 at least. Uh, most people at once, um, 293 participants in an event in uh, 2009 in the Netherlands. That seems very dangerous. Yeah. How about this one? Continuous fire flame. Okay. 9.968 seconds. Wow. By Friedrich Carlson in Sweden in November 2011. That's a long breath. Heck yeah. That's a real long breath. And uh, Antonio Restivo mm-hmm. in January of 2012 in Vegas uh, breathed a plume 26 feet, five inches. So I saw 28 feet. I well, wonder he, he if may that's... have beaten out Antonio. Yeah, maybe, or else Antonio's the one that, or, or else my source record. is wrong, yeah. Or Antonio has a rival, and they continually best each other by like six inches each year. It's his older sister, I'll Until bet. one of them dies. <laughs> of mouth cancer, probably. Man, that's a nice bummer way to end this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I want to remind everybody. Yeah, it's dangerous. It is very dangerous. Yep. Be careful out there. Yeah, and you know, burning, we've talked about burning. It's not a fun thing to go through. No. It's like, it's not something you should be playing around with. That's what we, I think that's what we hit upon is the worst way to die, remember? Yeah, if you want to hit on a constant pain that won't go away, mm-hmm. that morphine can't even take away, then burn yourself really badly. <laughs> All right. So I'm the one with the bummer ending, huh? Hey, if you're into that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. All right. If you want to learn more about fire breathing, type fire breathing into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It'll bring up this awesome episode. And since I said awesome episode, that means it's time for a message break. Stuff you should And another thing from us to you now is listener mail. 
Hey, before I do the listener mail, I think we got a little something special to announce. We do. So you know uh, our friends at Coed, the Cooperative for Education. If you don't, go back and listen to our part one and two Guatemala adventure. Yeah. Um, but they help build literacy among school kids in Guatemala. Yeah. And remember, we had call outs for people to go and sponsor their scholarship students. Well, they reached their goal. For the 2014 school year. Awesome. And we said that we would read out all the stuff you should know, listeners, who donated. We have the last one of the year, uh, Chela Garcia Glenn. Awesome. Yes. So thank you, Chela. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. And uh, all of you stuff you should know, listeners, who went and helped out students through co-ed. And if you're interested in learning more about it and figuring out how you can help out, no matter what time of year or what goal they've reached, they're yeah. always very happy to uh, receive a donation or help of any kind. Sure. You can go to coeduc, C-O-E-D-U-C dot org, and that will uh, lead you to all of the places you need to go. Very cool. All right. So listener mail? Yes. I am going to call this American Werewolf in London, dudes. Uh, guys that just listened to the Werewolf podcast, and I'm also a huge fan of that movie. And I thought I'd share my experience of the first time I saw it when I was eight years old. Uh, it was a big family affair, as we were the only ones who had a VHS player at the time. Oh, yeah. Remember that stuff? Sure. So my uncle and aunt came to watch it, too. My uncle was my hero at the time, as he was serving in the Navy and also the Navy boxing champ. He told me that if any werewolves came knocking on the door in the middle of the night, uh, that he would be safe as long as he stayed behind him. So anyway, we watched the movie. I loved every minute of it. I was only a little bit scared, not too much. But around midnight that night, I went to bed safe in the knowledge that Uncle Alan was in the next room. Just then, I started to drift off, and I heard a blood-curdling scream from outside my window, followed by shouts of help, and he's going to kill me. Uh, I was out of bed in a flash, getting ready to bravely run away and hide behind Uncle Alan when I see a figure running up to the front door uh, through that weird 80s bubble glass that was all the rage back then. Then this figure starts frantically banging the door, shouting, he's going to kill me. He's going to get me. He's going to kill me. Uh, naturally, I had brown underpants uh, at this moment, Gross. as most eight-year-olds would, after watching that movie and then hearing and seeing this person screaming through distorted shapes. Uh, by this time, my uncle, <laughs> along with the rest of us, were up, and he opened the door to see what all the fuss was about. I was expecting to see a bloodied and torn to shreds victim of a werewolf attack, but it turns out it was one of our neighbors, who I found out later had mental health issues was having a delusion that he was being chased by monsters. It's pretty weird timing. Yeah, that took a really sad twist. You know? <laughs> the night this kid sees this, though, it's like bad, bad timing. Plus his neighbor is like that bad off mentally. I know. That's sad. It is sad. Uh, but, guys, we calmed him down and made him a nice cup of tea because in England that solves everything. And Mum took him home when he was okay enough to think rationally. So they took care of the guy. And uh, that is from Al, who is now in Australia. Wow, that's a heck of a story. Yeah. Beats my werewolf in London story. You saw it and went to bed. Yeah, it was pretty uneventful. Yeah. Uh, if you have a great story about something that we've talked about, I know that's vague and nebulous, but that's good. I mean, it's a wide net, basically, is what we've just cast. That's right. Uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And uh, as always, check us out at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla. 